Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, it's Bill Nye. Yes, the science guy. Except today he's going to be talking as Bill Nye, the DC guy. The legendary science broadcaster has recently moved back home after years away. We chatted about growing up in DC. We chatted about how the city has changed. And we chatted about how DC helped make him into the Bill Nye we all know. It's Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Bill Nye, welcome. Well, it's, it's great to be here. Wait, so let me ask you, you came back to Washington. What's that been like? It's cool. I'm loving it, I got to say. How many years had you been away? 60-some, 50-some. <laughs> no, you know, keep in mind, uh, my extended family still lives here. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness, everybody. And I am still a Nationals fan. So everybody, let us keep in mind that when I was a kid, the Washington Senators were the baseball team. But in my grandparents' time, it was the Nationals. So the Nationals is a retro and lovely, very appropriate name for our ball team and loving Nationals ballpark. So what change has jumped out at you the most since you've, been, since you've moved back here? Oh, just the gentrification. Everything is nicer. And you guys, nicer. I mean, no, everything is nicer. And... Um, and now, with the success of the old show and the world just getting nicer here in the United States for everybody, my quality of life is so high. My goodness. But I, I reflect all the time, every day. D.C. was just a racist southern town when I was growing up. And racism was everywhere. You would go across Chain Bridge and there were Confederate flags all over the place. And what is... McLean used to be way out, everybody. It used to be this remote suburban thing, farms, and I don't know what goes on, goats, I don't know what goes on over there. And the Confederate flag and the rebel was a common term, and heritage and all that was was everywhere. And Washington really was divided by Rock Creek Park. Northeast was people of one ancestry, and Northwest, where I grew up, was people of another ancestry. And then when Marion Barry became mayor, we had this mixing, and that had a deep effect on me. And we did our best on the Science Guy show to have what now would be called diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. We did our best to include people. You are my fellow child of Northwest Washington. You grew up around Chevy Chase. You went to Lafayette. We did. You went to Deal. You went to Sidwell. What was it like growing up here? Oh, well, it was a middle-income family. My dad was not a civil servant, but my mom was. 
And uh, Washington was a small town. I mean, and uh, we had a baseball team, but it was a much smaller town, far, far less hip than it is today. And uh, it's just so gentrified and cool now. Oh, my goodness. I know. Like, how many types of falafel do we need? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up like at the other end of the M4, the Nebraska Avenue bus. Uh, oh, yes, th- the M4. So I took it to Alice Steele. <laughs> My kids, too. And there were a lot more Beltway bandits and civil servants and uh, maybe even retired secret agents than scientists. So what was your path from that upbringing to your professional career as the science guy? A great year of my life was sixth grade with Mr. Lawrence at Lafayette Elementary School. And uh, he was always doing little science something or others in class. And then I had Mrs. McGonigal for first and second grade, and she was always slipping in some science experiments. So I got interested in science. I can't, I really can't remember. It was so long ago. Uh, should I keep going, Mike, or do you have an important, insightful question? Well, I was, one of our, I don't have an important, insightful question, but one of our listeners, William, he wanted us to ask you, I want to know, were there forays into like Rock Creek Park or other places where science began defining who you are today? Yeah. So I went to Rock Creek Park continually, not every day, but every week, certainly, because it was at the end of the block. You know, I grew up real near the north corner of Washington, D.C. So you'd go one direction, you'd be in Maryland. The other direction, you'd be in Rock Creek Park. And uh, that changed my life. Then I had, my dad had a very influential Boy Scout master. And then I had a great Scout master. I can start a fire, I can spend a night in the wood. And then back in the day, you know, it snowed quite a bit. And uh, we would go sledding in Rock Creek Park. That was a highlight of the winter season was you could sled on hills there were no vehicle traffic. And at the bottom of the hill would be a bridge designed nominally for bridle trails for horses. And that would always freeze. You get to the bridge, you really pick up speed. So uh, anyway, it was a great part of growing up. Then when I was in high school in the 1970s, yes, everybody, I was alive in the 1970s. Uh, there were some several cold winters, and we would go ice skating on the canal. And my dad told me that when he was a kid, before the heat island that we now associate with urban environments, he ice skated from Key Bridge to the Naval Yard and back on the Potomac River. It was so cold. That's how cold it was. Now, I wasn't there to verify the story, but why would he make such a thing up? So... Uh, I learned to ice skate here, and I'm not a great skater, but I, I'm okay. I don't suck. I can get around. It was uh, growing up back east, as we say. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return. 
which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So let's fast forward a bit because, you know, the winters aren't as cold as they were. You became a TV presence, a household name. And as the years went by, science, especially climate science, uh, especially the question of whether uh, skating is as easy as it used to be, became this totally politically fraught thing. You came up in a place where politics is always in the air. How did that inform the way you have approached climate change and particularly climate change deniers? Uh, and other attacks on science? Well, climate change deniers are still, or maybe as big a problem as ever. And so I have not come up with that paragraph, that elevator speech to change a climate denier's mind. <laughs> but on the Science Guy show, we talked about climate change in a way that we worked hard to not scare people, but emphasize the importance of understanding it. So the greenhouse effect, these gases in the air that can hold in this heat, where visible light passes by the molecules, but infrared light bounced off the earth doesn't. It's really a subtle and amazing thing. But we talked about it several times on the Science Guy show. And I, as the host, would show these demonstrations that the crew and I had produced. So influencing climate deniers is difficult. However, as time has gone on, climate change is becoming more and more difficult to deny. And so the deniers are running out of steam. That's a energy production pun, I guess. <laughs> you know, and the kids today, the young people, your Gen X, your Gen Zs, your Gens double A's, whenever they show up, they're all very concerned about climate change. They're going to do something about it. The question now is how many people will be affected how badly as we do what we need to do to address climate change? I mean, it's I'm exciting. curious, we're, we're in this city with a lot of people who are professionally involved one way or the other in the business of arguing about this. What do you think you learned from your time as a TV guy who was focused on younger viewers that when you look at the way uh, the activists argue this, what are they doing wrong? What are they not saying that might help sway the kind of on-the-fence public? Well, what we have found is the first time somebody hears a debunking argument. For example, if you have somebody who believes a house is haunted or that they're talking to their dead ancestor on the cell phone or what have you, the first time they hear the counter argument, they are in general dismissive of it. It takes about two years for most people to accept that there are no angels in the outfield. And so you chip away with authoritative or scientific arguments over the course of years. And we do our best not to be strident, much as we might feel it. And so in the case of climate change and denial of climate change, you know, that's people are, are having difficulty denying it now because the, the effects really are, are showing up routinely. But growing up in Washington, having access to the woods, 
greatly affected my appreciation for nature. I believe I was in middle school when the term ecosystem was coined. And uh, that has a huge influence on me. I remember very well my riding my Schwinn bicycle to the Washington Monument, locking my bike to a flagpole. If you did that now, you'd be arrested. Your bike would be sawed up and x-rayed and, <laughs> and attending the first and second Earth Days on the National Mall. That was really moving. You know, the idea back then was to do less, you know, drive less. That's why I rode my bicycle. Eat less. Well, now people still talk, eat less meat, but, you know, don't wash your clothes. Use less clean water. Do it less, less, less. But that's not what people want. What we want is to do more with less. And that is the message now. More with less. More efficiency. More clean water for more people, for everybody. Heck, more people, everybody. Well, yeah, and it enables you to talk about that cause without sounding like a scold who wants to make people's lives less fun. No, we want to make everybody's life more fun. Clean water, renewable electricity that's reliable, and access to the internet or electronic information for everybody in the world. Let's go, people. We want to raise the standard of living of girls and women, and that will lead to a higher quality of life for everyone on Earth. Let's go. Let's get her done. So I want to end. Um, we have a bunch of rapid fire DC questions. Oh, good. You. Lightning round. Lightning rounds. Um, what's your favorite DC memory? Maybe seeing Carl Yastrzemski steal a home run at the 69 All-Star game. Oh, you know what? Seeing the Beatles. I saw the Beatles in DC Stadium. They were on second base. And we got tickets through an MD muscular dystrophy carnival. We had a carnival. We raised enough money. And we got tickets to see the Beatles. I was nine years old. Tell us a bizarre scientific fact about the district that people don't know. Well, okay. I don't know if it's bizarre, but... Everybody, there's something called the zero milestone. It's south of the White House, north of the Washington Monument on the ellipse. And the ellipse was reckoned by Benjamin Banneker, who was an unusual guy. He was a freed man. He was a guy, a black guy who was not a slave. And he taught himself mathematics. He became a skilled surveyor. He was so skilled that when Andrew Ellicott and George Washington were looking for a guy to reckon to survey Washington, D.C., they hired Benjamin Banneker. He was a real hero of my dad's. And so my dad led the effort to recover, restore the boundary stones. He wrote an article for the Evening Star back when big cities had two newspapers a day called, and the title of the article, Mike, was... Scrutiny on the boundary. That's, that's Ned good. Nye right there, people. Come on, that's my dad. The marker that's on the ellipse, is it like It's a rock focus? sitting there. The zero boundary stone, the zero milestone. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's there. Is there an underrated monument or museum that you think more people should visit? Oh, yes. God, I didn't coach you on that. You made that up. I, I didn't give up. you this. So John Erickson. John Erickson Memorial is just to the riverside of the Lincoln Memorial. It's right there. And John Erickson, by all accounts, invented the screw propeller. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine a world without propellers, everybody? It's hard to believe 
that nobody else had come up with it. Maybe somebody did, but he's credited anyway, and he's got a memorial. And so you guys think of all the propellers in your life. I mean, your dishwasher has an impeller. Motorboats have propellers. Ships have, navies are run on propellers. Airplanes have propellers. Turbine engines are really propellers inside tubes. It's all amazing. And so there's a memorial to John Erickson. I'm a mechanical engineer, everybody. I'm not objective about this, but it is a striking thing. You don't Wait, have to spend all day. You just walk over there when you're at the Lincoln Memorial and go, wow, huh, screw Got propeller. It. And when was the last time I visited the Lincoln Memorial? It was about two weeks ago. Every time I go to that thing, man, I just get chills. Everybody talks about a Gettysburg Address, a worthy, amazing speech, but take a second or a minute or three minutes and read his second inaugural address, which is on the other wall. It's just, wow. They get choked up, wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Guy was a poet and changed the world. Do you have a favorite DC restaurant? Uh, I'm, I'm, it's in development. I'm <laughs> You're uh, your way through town. Now, I'm not objective, you guys. My grandmother, speaking of dumb luck, my grandmother was French. So I'm attracted to French restaurants. And so there's several in Georgetown that uh, I can walk to, and it's fantastic. But don't make me pick, as the saying goes. So you said Washington was a southern town, and, and I think that when those I was growing days, up, yeah. a lot of seersuckers and a lot of bow ties. Is that where your bow tie comes from? The bow tie thing, so what happened there, uh, where I went to high school, I had this tradition, which as far as I know, they still have, at the girls' athletic banquet. This is where the girls get their awards for field hockey, lacrosse, gymnastics, and stuff. The boys are the waiters. The boys serve the girls. And at that time, I was hoping that this one girl would talk to me. And so I figured if I served her, maybe she would interact with me for a couple sentences. And so I said to my colleagues, if we're going to be waiters, let's dress like waiters. So my father was very skilled with knots. He was an Eagle Scout and all that. And he knew how to tie a bow tie. So he showed me how to tie a bow tie. And they, they have a real practical value. You know, when you're a waiter and you're carrying trays of food, they do not slip into the soup. And in the laboratory, they do not flop into your flask. They are of great <clears throat> utility. And then what happened, it just has become a thing. Now I just, I can't, I got to wear a bow tie. Wait, what time. happened with the girl? Uh, no comment. No comment. <laughs> All right. Last one. Last quick question. What advice would you give to budding scientists here in D.C.? Uh, get started. Just get started <laughs> doing something. No, you never know where it's going to go. We can all uh, fret about what we want to do. Do I want to work on energy policy, space policy? agricultural policy, water, hydrology, rocket science, just get started. You don't know what's going to happen. And we are all living at this extraordinary time where it is very reasonable that in the next three decades, 50 years, 
evidence of life will be found on another world, which will change the course of history. It's also very reasonable that in our lifetime, fusion will be possible on the Earth's surface. That, in other words, we will have fusion energy for a great many people, and that will lead to unlimited electricity, and that will lead to clean water, renewable, reliable electricity, access to the internet for everybody on Earth. Let's go. We are in the nation's capital of the world's most influential culture. Let us work together and, dare I say it, change the world. And on that note, I'm out. I'm going to go and do that stuff right now, my friend. Thank you very much for talking with us. Uh, Bill, we loved having you here. Come back. I'm very happy to be here. And before you go, we've got an exciting CityCast DC update for you. Next week, we are coming at you with a DC love kit, five episodes and five Hey DC newsletters that are all about love. Yes, we are going to help you plan out your Valentine's date or trip, but we're also talking friendship, dating fails, and the joys of being alone. Subscribe now so you don't miss a day and get your friends to do so as well. Okay, now for some quick news. The National Park Service is going to clear the McPherson Square homeless encampment on February 15th, two months ahead of schedule. They moved the date up due to reports of increased crime and drug concerns at the site, but activists say these claims are unfounded. They also say the encampment never received the social services promised by the city. Meanwhile, one metro worker is dead and three people are injured after a shooting at the Potomac Avenue metro station Wednesday morning. Police say the events were isolated incidents on a metro bus and at a fare station. The station closed for a while on Wednesday. Most blue, orange, and silver line stations were affected. All right, and finally, some good news. Wolf Trap has announced it's going to be hosting a two-day queer music festival the final week of Pride Month in June. Brandy Carlisle, Lucius, Yola, and Rufus Wainwright will all be there, so grab tickets to the Out and About Festival while they last. All right, that's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not try one of our branded Bill Nye-style CityCast DC bow ties? Oh, wait, we don't have any? Well, then make one yourself and make sure to festoon it with our URL, dc.citycast.fm, where you can subscribe to both our pod and newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. We had this broken piece of furniture. So you go online. Hey, broken piece of furniture. Well, leave it out on the street. Blah, blah, blah. We'll be there between the hours of blah, 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 blah. Shoot, poop, poop, done. Boom. Take, when I was a kid, man, if you had something left on the street, it would be there till the end of time.